Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. Are you afraid to suck or miss out on big opportunities? Do you believe you have to sell your soul in order to make the big money? And what's more satisfying than a long list of accomplishments? My coaching client, Jerry Campbell, is here to share what he's learned from pioneering the early days of the internet, chasing big money, and what he's done to bring life, family, and work back into balance. Happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. This is my favorite day to be on Facebook. Is Oh, yeah. You just get all the love, right? Yeah, it's birthday day. Yep. <laughs> it's, in fact, I think Facebook is just a giant birthday machine, and the rest is just trying to make sure you're connected to people so they remember to say happy birthday. Wouldn't that be cool if that was, if that was it, right? It's just the, the birthday machine. Maybe that's your next thing is, is uh, just streamline it down to... Just a birthday machine. Just like, so glad you're alive. So glad you were born. How cool would that be? <laughs> I went through some of the things that you sent me and you've done so much when it comes to creating technology and leading tech companies and teams. I'm just going to run down a list of stuff and correct me if I've got any of this wrong because I know it's nowhere yeah, sure. near the nowhere near what everything that you've done. But you wrote the book Demand Horizon that was about user-driven product development. Uh, you and your team, I always love this one. You, you created the search su- suggestion box that Google uses. Is that right? Yeah, actually, in fact, um, Facebook now owns the patents on that, and I just got another 11 patents granted in my name, actually, to Facebook, but yeah, for uh, for all the different technologies surrounding that. Cool. All right, got it. I just love that part. I was like, oh, wow. That's, that's, <laughs> that's kind of fun, right? I use that every day, right? <laughs> um, you were part of a multi-billion dollar, multi-year relationship, you know, putting that deal between AOL and Google. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, that's right. Okay. You helped Google get into the advertising market, and that created a whole industry. Yeah, that's uh, right. You, you, you've driven uh, innovation that transforms industries. You've driven innovation that has helped companies profit tremendously. And you've participated in at least 12 acquisitions from all sides, raised millions, run companies, and managed big teams all around the world. We get in the picture of you know, kind of high level what, what you've been doing. Oh, sounds so good. Who is that? <laughs> this guy's awesome, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I come back to us having breakfast at the Georgian Hotel in Santa Monica that morning, there's the sea out there, and you and I are hanging out. and And I, you know, let's let's come back to that moment because I remember you told me something at that time. You said that you'd been described as a shark. So if, if we look at all the things that you've done here, and that's just scratching the surface, that's a really driven guy. So I want to just understand what's driving that guy and. A lot of our talks over the last year, we worked. That was that was when we started working together. Was was mm-hmm. at that time, and and so a lot of our work was just about helping you kind of understand what you had to do to become successful. But there was something missing. There was something getting left out of that. So I want to just explore that. There was because I remember you asked me something at that day. You you said, "Can I have a heart and be successful too?" And I thought that was profound. That 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 idea was in there that I have to be this one guy or else I can't be successful. Do you remember saying that? 
Yeah, I do, because it's an ongoing struggle that I, I definitely have felt over the years. And I think, you know, the, the question of the drive, it, everything's mixed, right? Nothing, man, if it, if life were clear, it would be so awesome, right? If, if it would possible to just take a, a peek and go, oh, yeah, that's what was going on. And it's so right. easy. But, but you know, I, I think what drove me was I, a, a couple different levels, but but at the core, and I think why I have have persisted along kind of the same line of things. I love creating things and I love connecting with people. And, and so to me, like underneath, there was something kind of really positive and good about my, my drive and my career. And I work right. with great people and great teams and nobody does anything alone. But what I allowed to happen because I, I, and I, and I can see it better with perspective now and it's, it's, um, fantastic learning and I'm carrying it forward now, but I, I allowed a little bit too much of, um, the, the, the drive to be successful, to take over and, and the energy to create stuff and work with great teams was always there. And the meaning of doing something for somebody else. And, you know, through all of that, I really believed I was doing something using technology and business to create things that helped people in their lives, help them find information. Uh, and, and really that was a huge piece of it. But, but the shark piece comes in where my selfishness just took over and I drove towards what I believed was the right thing to do and in terms of building a business and and I'd operated in lots of cities around the world and seen lots of different styles of ways people worked and what I found was that um, I could be pretty effective if I let the softness of of my own creativity go a little bit uh, inside and and could be a little bit more pushy and a little bit more dominant and use some tools like, you know, P&L management and some business things that I learned in order to create this world that I could live into where I felt powerful. And, and, uh, and then, and that's kind of when I, when I, when I reached out to you, I'd been listening to the new man podcast and, and I was in pain. I just was hurting because I couldn't figure out how to, um, to go forward. What was the next step? If I've achieved most everything I thought that I had wanted to achieve, why, why wasn't I having fun? Yeah. Right? What was missing? And, and the piece was, I felt like to be successful, I had to cover up that soft inside of me that just wanted to create cool stuff and connect with people. Um, and I traded it in to be a manager and a, and a, you know, a global executive and all of those things. And I think what I've learned and I'm continuing to learn is I don't have to, I don't have to pick one or the other. In fact, what I really have to do for my own sanity and happiness is keep it all balanced. And, and, uh, and that's, that's a huge lesson. Well, let's go back. Let's, uh, let's unpack all that. Cause I think you just laid out the whole interview and you know, 20 seconds or whatever that was. So Oops. <laughs> that was, no, I'm glad. It, it, so let's, let's go back because I imagine at some point you were thinking I'm on track. So what, what was on track for you? If we go back, cause you busted your ass, you went through Ohio state, right. And, and then had your own company after that. So what was the mindset then you got married really early on? And I mean, what was, okay, all I got to do is what, and then I'll be fine. Cause that's what we're in, right? I just got to do this and then it'll work out. It'll be fine. So what what was that mindset like at that time? So I, I got out of college and I started, I, I had an opportunity to go take a, a job at a bigger company and kind of, you know, do the, do the horse line where you put your nose in the ass, the one ahead of you and, and just, just plod forward. <laughs> and I thought, oh God, I can't do that. Right. So, um, I knew, and I called it the trial by fire. I didn't know much about business, but I had a, a little nine-inch, or a, yeah, it was a nine-inch black and white Macintosh, and I thought, well, desktop publishing is kind of a cool thing to do, and and I just had this feeling of optimism. You know, I had this little black and white computer, and so what did I set out to do? And I knew nothing about business. I thought, well, I'm going to go start a, a desktop publishing company. Um, and there's and, something uh, about being young, dumb, and full of cum. I did the same thing when I was 23. <laughs> I was just like, I could do that. Like, and I, I took out a loan and bought a Big Mac and started a video company. So there's something young about like, I can do this. <laughs> yeah. And there's that optimism. And, yeah. and a huge part of my story is that I was kind of right on the edge of each technology as it evolved. And it's just out of my curiosity. I've always been kind of a hacker maker, you right. know, I, I wanted to understand what ball bearings did and I wanted to understand, you know, why when you put electricity to a speaker, it moves and, you know, all that stuff. So to me, computers and all of that naturally flowed. So there well, was just had a natural curiosity for that. I, I want to underline that because I think that some people just get it like, what do I got to do to make a bunch of money? But you had this thing underneath that was like, how do things work? And, and it seems like that's what drove your ability to create and innovate. Oh, absolutely. Because there was, there was this idea at the time that computers were doing more and more. And this was, you know, to put a year on it, this was like 
you know, I started playing with computers in 1989. You know, there was no, there was an internet, but it was, it was not what we know today by any means. And, and, uh, and so there was, there was, and computers could hardly do anything compared to what they could do today. But, but there was this anticipation that, and I, and I, I got into the computer industry pretty young as well. And, and there was just this anticipation that everything was going to be more powerful, do more stuff. The software was going to be better. Um, there was going to be more creativity. It was going to be more effortless to do all of the, the amazing things that you might want to do. And it just felt to me that there was this creativity, this optimism, but then also there was real business to it. And, uh, and that real business started out with me figuring out what a font was. And figuring out how to lay it down on a virtual page on my little nine-inch screen, and uh, and then pay, get get paid for taking that to uh, I take my little SideQuest drive to the to the Linotronic guys and and get a printout and take that to the printer and I'd make money at that and that that was like the most exciting thing ever. Using technology to make money was pretty pretty crazy. It seemed and, easy. And at that time, were you thinking I want to get into big business? I want to get into big innovation. Was that even on your radar at that time? Not really. Um, I, I just didn't want to suck. Um, and it's really basic, you know, how do I make sure I don't suck? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, small town kid in Columbus, Ohio, and, and this huge world was happening. And I felt like if, if I didn't, uh, if I didn't get in on it, I was going to suck. So when did things change? When did, when did, when did you go from, I don't want to suck or maybe sucking meant, okay, I got to play at this level. So I don't suck. How, what was the transition there? Yeah, so I had a couple jobs rapid fire. Um, I started my company right when I got out of college. I had a huge job, lasted nine months, got all done, balanced my checkbook, and had a dollar left in my company. And, uh, wow. and I had no work lined up because I'd over-indexed on a partner. I thought, okay, um, maybe there's something I need to learn here. So I made the plan to go and actually study business. I, that's a huge part of this. I love doing hard things. And I love doing hard things that have have some type of event at the end. Study really hard, get an MBA, and get that degree. Nobody can ever take it away from me. And I feel the same way about running marathons, and I feel the same way about you know, a lot of the things that we do in life. There, there are some things that you just, like, okay, it's big, it's gnarly, but I've got a goal, and I can focus on it, and I can get it done. So, Did the, um, did the MBA just, represent something else, though, in terms of that I'm not sucking, look, I've got an MBA? Was it, was it anything, any kind of like, look, look, I'm okay? Like, was there any part of that in there? Maybe, maybe, but I, I really went to business school to, to figure out what I didn't know. Yeah. The thing that was so fascinating to me with everything evolving so quickly was that there was a whole additional, like almost like a chess game that I wanted to learn about how to, how to actually operate a business. Why do some succeed? Why do some fail? What are the characteristics of a, an executive? Or a, I didn't even know the word executive meant really, but you know, of a yeah. leader, somebody who creates something valuable. Um, so there was a whole mystique to it of something to be done more than just selling a product for a price. I wanted to understand how to compete. Well, I, I don't want to underline that. I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but sure. because there's so many of us that get into that, I don't want to suck game. So their world actually gets pretty small. They, they create a small world for themselves so that they, you know, like they, okay, I don't suck. It's like the guy that was the, the football star in high school and that's all he ever became. He just kind of stayed in that world. He never got curious and said, what else do I want to learn? Because when we're learning, we suck. Like we're, we, we recognize, wow, there's so much I don't know. There's so much for me yet to learn. And that can have us feel small if we're in that defensive, um, you know, not enough place. But I want to just come back. Like what's really made you strong here is your willingness to say, hey, I want to learn. There's a whole other game here. I'm going to follow my curiosity and expand because a lot of guys that I talk to are stuck. They're stuck because they're tr they're playing defense. They're playing defense. They don't want to do anything that's going to confront who they think they are. Um, and so I just love that you were in that mindset that you were willing to learn in that. I want to underline that for the listener out there. So sorry if you can pick up where you were. Sure. Well, actually, I'd like to comment on that a little bit because to me, at that point in time, sucking was missing opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. And and that was that was something very different. Now I. I I think that part of, you know, when we met and I, I started sharing where I was with you, I think there was a lot of defensiveness. There was a lot of, you know, kind of more the, the kind of sucking that you're talking about. Yeah. Where, where there was, you know, a little bit of is this all there is and, and whatever. We can come back to that later. But okay. where it all really took off was um, while I was in graduate school, 
uh, a guy that I got to be pretty good friends with that was a class ahead of me had an internship at uh, this company called CompuServe. And I was familiar with the company. And uh, it was one of the very first online services. In fact, it was the the biggest and best for some time. And uh, I ended up getting an internship there as well. And so I started in my first year of business school. I did the two-year full-time program. Um, I went from full-time student to full-time student with an internship to full-time student with a full-time job. And so I was working full-time during the day and squeezing in classes, coming and going every, every time I could. And what was so awesome about it, and this is where things really kicked in, was that I would learn stuff during the day and I would go to, you know, or, or at school and I would go to work and be like, okay, so this is how we do this. And what was going on with the company at the time was, was just fantastic because the internet was exploding and I was just lucky enough, people trusted me to, to help them answer these questions. Mm-hmm. And so I got to participate in real business on a, on a big scale. We were the biggest online service at the time. AOL was tiny and uh, we were growing like crazy. And I and you're still with- in school while this is all happening. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and ultimately, uh, I graduated from business school and was on the team that helped answer some of the questions as AOL came in and did its due diligence to figure out whether it was going to buy CompuServe or not. So I got to meet, you know, real online people. AOL had passed, uh, CompuServe at that point, And there was a lot of excitement about, you know, what kind of power and energy they had. And well, you said, well, it was interesting. You said real online people. So I'm wondering at that time, you're, you're this guy that's in school with a lot of us are in this place. Like, am I, can I play at this level? Like, who am I to play at this level? Did you have any doubts about yourself at that time? Or are you just so in it and all so optimistic all the time? So what was that like? Oh, Those de- all the time I said, who lets me do this? Who lets me do this? They're going to find out I'm in here and they're going to kick me out kind of thing. <laughs> or, or I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep going until somebody stops me. Right. Right. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep doing my best. And, uh, and if somebody stops me, they stop me. Um, so you didn't I'll, stop yourself, but you were like, okay, I'm, I have my doubts, but I'm going to let other, I'm going to let somebody else, you know, tell me I can't play here, but you gave yourself permission to play. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Cause, um, uh, if I ever slowed down to feel insecure about it all, I, I was, you know, I, I was just showing up and, uh, and people kept asking me to do things. I remember I, my boss at the time, fantastic guy, uh, his name's Scott Cress, and he was, uh, he ran the group that we were in. And I remember thinking all the time, like, I don't know why he trusts me. I don't know why he likes me. I don't know why. Um, I'm able to get more responsibility and I don't know why my reviews are good. It doesn't all make sense to me. I'm just going to keep going. And uh, what were you missing? I, what were you not able to see? Um, why me? Why was, why was I the guy who gets to do this cool stuff? Why not all these other people? Cause there were great people there, but I ended up just being fortunate enough. Um, and maybe, maybe it's cause I was the only one that wanted to work on this stuff, but I don't know why I was the guy that got was allowed to do that stuff for the company. Why was that? You know, do you know. get it now that you now that you've run companies and you've and you've managed younger people than you? Are you able to see? Oh, that was it. Or you still feel like it was a you know like somehow you 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 got into the party and uh, they were going to um, keep. You know, I think a little bit. Of, I I think it was attitude. Just just attitude. You know, the optimism hmm. um, and and the hope and uh, yeah. Um, well, I just, I say that because there's a lot of us that are out there that are, that are thinking, well, once there's something, right? There's something like once I kind of understand my value, then I'll put, put myself out there. There's a, there's a, if then once this, then I'll be able to do this and that. And, and I, I like this story because you had your doubts, you had your insecurities, you couldn't even see why, but you were still at it. And, um, that flies in the face of, what a lot of folks are doing if they're wanting to make a transition or they're wanting to play at a different level. And so I want to I want to highlight that there that you know you didn't have to believe your own fears, you didn't have to believe your own doubts. You just kept going and and you know the road kept opening up for you as you went. I think that's right and and I could attribute it to luck, I could attribute it to attitude, but but the truth is you know it's a it was a mix of you know looking in retrospect, it was a mix of things and and uh and when I, when I, I've coached a lot of guys, I've, I've had lots of people report to me through the years and the people that, that, um, I find to be the ones that I love to give responsibility to are the ones who, who just say, I got this. 
Mm. And I'll let you know if I don't. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that was probably one of the things that I did. I did say that, you know, in different words, but if I was asked to do something, I would do it. I would do it as best I could. And, and, uh, you know, um, varying degrees of ownership. You know, there were some times I would work on a project and come up with a plan. And if people didn't like it, I was very hurt. Um, but I think, you know, in general, on the whole, just the, the willingness to learn and the willingness to take the ball and run with it, um, it's pretty unique, actually. So less of this peer level external validation, more of this, see the future and I'm going to help create it. Okay. And so what's the next transition in, in your mindset, let's say? So things are getting bigger. Imagine you go through a lot of different responsibilities and organizations and that kind of stuff. When did you start to, I guess, looking back on this, what, what was the mindset shift? Here it is, it's exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm this new guy. I'm you know bright and shiny, ready to go. Put me in coach, that kind of thing. And then what was the next phase for you? It, it was a slower transition. The first few years happened really quickly. And then, um, it, and kind of in parallel to this, I got married and, and, uh, my wife and I had our daughter. And, uh, so life slowed down a little bit. I, I switched a few different jobs here and there, constantly looking for that opportunity just to participate in this awesome thing that was going on. Cause it was definitely happening. Um, and, and the internet was evolving and, and I felt like, you know, I gotta, I gotta stay aggressive to be in the right place. And, um, so, you know, moved to Texas and I worked for Compaq and while I was at Compaq, I, I didn't really fit into the group that I was hired into, but I'd moved from Ohio to Texas and felt like I've got to, you know, I've got to do something and, and, uh, to make this work. Cause you know, we we're having our baby and everything. And, and so at that point, um, I had a choice. I could kind of kick back and do what I was asked to do, but I was, I just felt like this energy that I wanted to be a part of things. Um, so, and, and I didn't really feel plugged into my job. And then a couple things switched around and I ended up in this really weird situation that I could freelance inside of Compaq. And what I mean by that was I had a day job, but the day job was kind of not that hard to do. And, um, I could work across groups kind of anywhere in the company. This internet thing was new and I just found like-minded people inside of this giant company. So I kind of freelanced inside the company and just found projects and said, can I help? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and ended up, uh, finding that if I show up and I just offer to help and work hard, um, even more doors open. Things were, the, the commerce was really starting to take off. People were putting credit cards in online and, and, uh, it really got to be pretty exciting. And so anybody who had experience of the internet became kind of a de facto expert at things. Mm -hmm. And I had worked in e-commerce, uh, worked a couple projects and, um, I felt like I became an expert at something people didn't know about. So we were, you know, me and a few other people were asked um, to to solve all kinds of crazy problems as as we spun Alta Vista out, and and uh, so that was when I started to get confidence that I could lead a little bit more, and I also got confidence that um, this vision was going to happen and that I was a part of something pretty big. And and I think you know the the who lets me do this thing kind of gave way to a little bit more ego and a little bit more, you know, I, I got this, I got this figured out. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was, that was a, it was a really super exciting and fun time. But what was also really frustrating was working inside of companies and watching everybody make their money and, uh, and uh, not. So that, that frustration grew. And I think I started to shift from wanting to contribute to wanting to take a little bit. Um, which wasn't bad uh, in any way, um, but but it certainly became a dominant theme for me for a long time. You know, that, yeah. Why are these guys getting all this money? I'm in here doing this. I want a piece of that. Was that? Yeah, yeah. My my co the the guys on the other side of the table at Amazon started. You know, we're in our mid 30s and they're looking to retire. You know, the people I'd been working with for a while, and and uh, you know that kind of stuff. Uh, made me kind of edged me up a little bit more towards wanting to take some, right? And well, you, you mentioned that that sucking was missing opportunities. So here's that button. I must. I'm yeah. missing an opportunity. I'm sucking yeah, for sure. Okay, for sure. All right. Yeah. And so you got that realization around that time. And so what did you what did you start to shift? Well, so the crunch of 2000 hit. Kind of the internet crashed, and uh, myself and a few other guys. Uh, the leader of our division um, started a company, and it was called Bounce Networks, and and we were going to create kind of the next thing. And so we locked ourselves in uh, my pal Mike Rubin's garage for uh, uh, for a few months and dreamed up this crazy thing that was uh, was way ahead of its time. It was um, 
it, Wi-Fi was just coming out. So there was, there was, I believe there was a time before Wi-Fi, right? Um, <laughs> it's hard but, to imagine. Yeah, I remember putting the first card in my <laughs> MacBook. It was like, oh, this, this changes everything. I can walk around. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we created this system. You would put it in your, uh, in your home entertainment stack. That was when you still had stereos with big speakers and stuff. And this was a box you would put in there that was a computer, but it would manage all your digital subscriptions and then connect wirelessly to devices. And we prototyped it and built something that would go in your car and something you would hold in your hands and, you know, felt like we were really on to the future. Kind of sounds uh, like iTunes or something. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was before, it was before iTunes by about yeah. a year and a half. We went up and down Sand Hill Road looking to raise money for this crazy little company. There were 11 of us and sometimes all of us would go to the venture meetings and we didn't, and we didn't really know what we were doing. We just knew that we had this, this crazy idea and VC after VC said, why are you guys the guy to do this? You know, why are, why is this company the one? Like your vision is so big. That's, you know, I don't, I'm not sure you're the right guys. And and, uh, what was it like so, to hear that? Oh, it was, it was so puzzling, right? I was just puzzled because um, it worked. We had it. it. We built it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't production ready, but the prototype worked. We would show people this thing and, and uh, I don't know. So, yeah, it was puzzling because it was really cool. And it turns yeah. out we weren't wrong. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that had to be vindicating, but also like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, we needed a couple billion dollars to pull it off. So. Right. So things are switching. You guys are building your own thing. You're starting to get into play. Not, I don't work for the company. I'm becoming my own thing. I'm the creator of this own thing. Um, you're heading down that road. Uh, yeah, keep going. I was just flat broke. Um, we had two babies now. So I had uh, a daughter and a son. My daughter was a couple of years old. My son was just a few months old. And uh, was was uh, was done. You know, my savings. We were we were a young family. We didn't have much savings, and we were so flat broke that. Uh, I was uh, borrowing enough money to make my mortgage payment from my parents every month and uh, did that for a couple months. And, uh, and then my parents came to visit and said, uh, love that you're doing this, really believe in what you're doing, but uh, we're done. Like we, we can't do this indefinitely. Right. And, uh, and so my wife and I, you know, Cindy and I just, just uh, it, was, it was devastating. Um, and so at that point, I had to admit, you know, not only was I flat broke, I was, I was way in the hole um, and, and I had to take anything I could find. And um, so the anything I could find, this was in 2000 when there was nothing going on. There was, you know, and I was living in Orange County where unless you're a realtor or a financial planner, you're pretty much screwed. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't find anything. So uh, I finally responded to a call that I had gotten months and months before that AOL, so a lot of my friends that stayed at CompuServe and went to AOL, um, it, it said, oh, we know this guy who worked at Alta Vista. Maybe he could help run search at AOL. And I, I, I took it as a massive defeat. I didn't even have enough money. I had to borrow money to, uh, to move my family from one side of the country to the other. Um, it, because, it, you know, to move from Orange County to, uh, to Virginia was, yeah. it was, it was more than I could afford to do. And the company said, yeah, here's, here's your, here's your five grand. We'll see you on start day. And, uh, and it was, it was just, it wasn't a low point in terms of, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe how bad this is, but a low point in terms of going from feeling like I had all of the options in the world, all yeah. of the choices in the world and, and to be on top of things, to be, um, this dichotomy of knowing like I'm so on, I'm so plugged into this industry um, I've met everybody there is to meet. I've, I've been a part of so many things, you know, um, and here I am just so flat broken and without options. Um, wow. so I took the, yeah, it was, it was, it's actually a great story, right? Yeah. Um, but so, uh, shut down the startup and, uh, and packed up and moved to Virginia, which I swore I'd never work for AOL and I swore I'd never live in Virginia. And we stayed there nine years and I worked for AOL for five of it and it was the best run I've ever had. So, um, I, I gave in and, uh, and took that job because it was the only choice I had and it turned out to be fantastic. I, it turned out that I worked with some of the most amazing people and the, the greatest teams and, and uh, had the best boss uh, I've ever had. He was just awesome. A guy named Jim Riesenbach who, who taught me so much. And I had him, he was my boss for five years, which uh, was just fantastic. How so, long did it take you to realize this wasn't, you know, you just even going from like, wow, this, I've hit the bottom, you know, I've just closed the door on everything that's possible to, hey, this is, this is pretty good. This might, this might be good. How long was that transition period where you were like looking at, you know, 
kind of kicking the can down the road, like, damn it, I missed out. And then wait a second, this is actually okay. It took me a while. Um, but, but it, it was a small business. It was about, it sounds like a big business, but at the time it was really very small. It was $20 million a year. And I had, I had, you know, my team said to me when I got there, um, yeah, we've had about five or six bosses over the last few years. If you just kind of keep to yourself, don't mess with what we do, you know, we'll help you just look good so you can move on to your next thing wow. inside the company here. And I said, stop, no, we're not going to do this. So there was, a, it was pretty dark. It was pretty dark. And, and then on top of that, I had moved across country and left my wife, uh, to close things up in Virginia or excuse me, in, uh, in California for a few months. So I was living in a hotel room for a while. It was, it was rough. That was, yeah. a, that was a, a pretty rough period of time, but here's what, here's what, you know, started to really take off. One, um, I found, I found that the opportunity and the clarity that I could bring, like, so we can go here and I'll tell the story this way, and it didn't work. And I didn't know how to tell the story this way. It didn't work. And I learned how to manage upward. And managing upward was not telling the story that I wanted to tell. It was, it was learning how to tell um, somebody in charge of the purse strings in the company what the story was in a way that they would understand it. And it was a huge generational leap in my ability to lead when I realized, let me take a second, know who I'm pitching. And, and, and this is what I learned from my boss at the time, you know, know the room before you propose an idea, know the room. And in fact, pre-sell everybody. So by the time you go in there, everybody's nodding their head. And, and it wasn't about changing or compromising it was about learning how to work an organization and learning how to align the vision that I could see or the opportunity I could see with what the company did. And, and what happened was it took off pretty quickly. We went and talked to Google and brought them in and they said, well, we're not super excited about starting an advertising product yet. Um, but, you know, come back to us in a year. And we said, no, 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 we're going to do a four year deal. So we pulled Google into paid search. They accelerated their plans. And, and that part of the thing is, is history. So, yeah. What's it like to look back on that and realize the financial implications of that? Like just how the billions of dollars that 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 deal that you, that you helped put together has been worth. What's it like? Um, you know, there was a while where I was a little bit bitter about it to see all of that take off. I got to say, you know, there was a point in time when I felt a little bit left behind. Um, Google just shot up, obviously, and and it's it's uh, it, it was I felt a little bit left behind. Um, but the other side was, you know, when I look at it with a little more perspective, um, I, I don't, you know, sure it would have been nice to have more money, but the, the opportunity to participate in, in the creation of a company like that and, and see how things worked. And I, you know, I negotiated a, a part of the deal, uh, with, with Sergey and it was pretty cool. Nice guy. He was eating Chinese food and I had my feet up on my desk at home and, and, uh, I called him and we talked it through and we, we figured out the part of the deal. So, you know, I think it, when I see the, the Google brand and name everywhere, you know, part of me just smiles. Cause I think, you know, I, I remember when, uh, long before all of this right. and it feels pretty good. It's pretty neat. What was the, what was the, the thing that if you felt left behind, what was the the opportunity you wish would have shown up at that time? Cause this is driving you, right? This is going to continue. If, there, if, there, if that little bit of bitterness is, is in there and, and a couple of missed opportunities and I'm imagining it's creating drive. It's, it's creating some kind of, okay, I'm really, I'm just getting this picture of I'm tired of being left out of these things. I, I don't want to miss any more of these opportunities. Yeah, but it was, it was a conscious decision though. Had a pretty good relationship with, with several of those people. And I think had I said, I'm leaving, could I come over? There would have been a conversation. I don't know how that would have gone, but you know, I, I remember feeling like I had that choice if I wanted it, but, but I really also, I was balancing a couple things. One is family. Um, and this is a theme that shows up later too. The, mm -hmm. the, the startup scene and the companies that are growing like that, um, as much as I was working really hard, um, I had a, I had a very young family at the time and it was really important to me not to, um, sacrifice that. That was, that was, I, I didn't come from a very harmonious home and I wanted that, mm -hmm. you know? So, so part of it was, um, that was for them. The startup thing was for them. And it wasn't at that point in time for me because I had to balance, um, some other things, you know, most of the people that I worked with at these startups that were going crazy didn't have families. They didn't have kids. And, mm -hmm. 
Uh, and that was a, that was a conscious decision not to leave them behind because had I made that decision at that time, I believe there would have been more pressure. Um, my wife and I looked at moving to, uh, San Francisco or moving to the Bay area. And we had decided very early on that we didn't really want to. And so, um, you know, I could have revisited the topic, but it just, I, I made the conscious decision to, to focus on or keep family in balance. And, uh, and then the other thing was range of control. So I was, I was general manager of, by the time I left AOL, I was general manager of a $500 million business and, and I managed upwards and I managed, I was doing investor relations for Time Warner. Um, there was a lot of, of influence and prestige that uh, I would have given up to go to a company that was growing faster and rising higher. And, uh, and I kind of liked that balance. So I was willing to trade a little bit of, uh, of cash uh, for, for that opportunity to contain or to have that range of control. What, is that what was driving you at that time? Just how can I have more control? How can I have more influence in addition to stability for my family? If in your, you know, the twenties, it was about how do I make sure I don't suck? What, what's kind of the overarching, this is what I'm doing now in stability and making sure I have more control. What was it for you? It was, it was being in the action, mm. right? I was given a lot of, of influence and a lot of responsibility and I didn't, I, I loved it. I really enjoyed that part of it. I enjoyed, you know, being, ha- having the decision authority right. of hundreds of millions of dollars and, and that kind of position didn't exist in these other companies. So, um, you know, what I was doing then was, was I was leading. Okay. And so it, what you, you didn't stay at AOL forever you moved on. Give me a sense of where the action was next for you. Yeah, I think this is where this is where I started to index higher on the things that led to a little bit of trouble. So um, as I as I rose up through AOL, I spent spent more time in New York with the Time Warner people, and and uh, and I, I just became a little bit more hardened um, and, and a little bit tougher. And I'm not saying that I had to, I chose to, um, a little bit of corporate struggles, a little bit of making some mistakes. And I, I just decided to toughen up. And, and then, and and what I mean by that was, um, I originally started doing all of this because I really just, it was cool. It was creative. It was fun. And I could see how I could change the world. And, and, uh, I ended up in a, you know, corporate defensive position, um, protecting assets and protecting resources to do things. And, and there was a lot more ego in it. And, and then, you know, there, there came a point when I thought, ah, it's time, it's time for me to make this money. I, I got to make some money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I was living on salary and getting a bonus and not really stashing much away. And I got an opportunity to go somewhere to be, uh, to go to Reuters, to be president of what became search and content technologies. It was a, a shared services group and it was a global position in a $11 billion company. And I reported to the guy who was, was slated to be the CEO. And, uh, and I think, I think full power and greed mode kicked in at that point. And what was that like? How did you, um, were you aware of it at that time? Like, what were you telling yourself? Um, the game's changed for me. I'm out. I'm out to get mine. Like, what was, what was, what were the things you were telling yourself at that time? Yeah, it, it became about the money. It was the first time ever that it was about the money because the job, it was a great job and the company, amazing soul. I think Reuters is one of the just most amazing companies um, that I've ever been associated with because it, it runs on these things called the trust principles, which are things that are important to me. It's about you know freedom from bias and, and helping people to get accurate information so they can make good decisions, like just good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but my motivation was, uh, I was, I had the opportunity to get a deal, um, that, a uh, contract that was, was, uh, you know, I, I, it was pretty, pretty, uh, lucrative. It was good. And I wasn't even positive what I was going to be doing, what the job was. I just knew that, um, that my boss was saying, or my future boss was saying, we can do this. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can do this, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I'm never, <laughs> I've never shied away from a, Hey, let's do this kind of thing. Right. And, uh, and it just, uh, and, the, and the thing that got out of balance very quickly was um, it was a global position. So I had to travel a lot. Um, family still lived in Virginia. My office was at Times Square in New York, but then I also had to be in London and in Bangkok and ended up spending some time in Tel Aviv and, and Paris. And, and it sounds really wonderful. And, and uh, you know, living in Manhattan most of the week, every week, like all of it sounds really great, but I was really lonely. And, and so I, I got almost on this like death march of, of uh, I'm here to do this job. It went, 
it went pretty well. Everything was going, you know, exactly as I had hoped. I got a great review, all of that, but I had left a little bit of my soul behind. And what I mean by that was that I, my kids were growing up without me. I was gone five and six days a week, um, traveling and, and, and going for the money. And, and, um, it, it's not bad. It, it worked out. It was nice. Um, I was able to save for the kids college and, and that kind of stuff. But I absolutely became, um, more empty inside when I got out of balance and going purely after the money. And I wasn't focused on creating things. I wasn't focused on bringing value to people. Um, although that's what the company did. I was more focused on, I've got this deal. I'm going to do this job. And it became transactional for me. And it was just my motivation because everything else was, was had the potential of being great. And I worked with great people there. Mm -hmm. My team was fantastic. It's just that my motivation was was more selfish than I'd ever had before, and it it felt terrible. How did you? I just get this image of you being hardened, especially when we see how creative you've been, um, and how much of a driver that was. Suddenly, that's that's not part of the picture. You're away from your family. Um, you're only in it for the money. You're out of balance. What were the things you were telling yourself at that time? Because I'm imagining you're aware that you're lonely. I'm imagining you're aware that this isn't this isn't feeling great. So what kind of things were you saying to yourself to justify it? Uh, it was about the money. It was that, you know, if I stick this out, if I deliver, if I do a good job that I can feel good about at some point, um, I will be in, you know, my family will be in a different position. And what, what that really means to me was that I, and, and, and I haven't talked much about it, but faith is a huge part of my life. And, mm -hmm. and, and, I took over and said, I am doing this for this purpose. And, and everything had gone really, really well on all fronts. And I had no reason to believe that things wouldn't continue to go well if I just worked hard or if they didn't, you know, I'd been through some rough times and they weren't bad. Going broke wasn't terrible. It just wasn't because I was with my wife and we had kids, excuse me, and we loved our kids and still do. They're awesome. And, and they, there's, there was nothing, there was the hard times weren't hard. Um, so I had no, like, I'm not sure why I felt like I had to move to protect myself or to take mine off the table. But in doing that, um, I, I think I kind of closed down some avenues that had previously been really energizing for me, uh, the, the creativity, the being tapped into doing something meaningful. And again, it's not that the company wasn't doing something meaningful because it really was, but that's not why I was there. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I knew that I was trading it in. I knew that I was, I was, um, I, that it wasn't sustainable. And it wasn't sustainable. So what happened after that? You're in this hardened state. You're in it just to get the money. You're away from your family. You're telling yourself that, you know, you're in it for, you just need to get it to a certain point and things will be okay. You've even kind of side doored your faith in this, that I'm taking over here. Um, so yeah, what, how did, how did it unfold next? the company was acquired and, uh, and I had the opportunity to stay and chose not to stay, uh, for obvious reasons. I just didn't feel lined up. And, and so in getting the chance to leave, I, for the first time ever, I had some time, uh, because I had a little bit of money to, to make some decisions. And do you think you would and, have stayed had, had it not gotten bought out? Like how long do you think you would have stayed in that environment had the, had the buyout not happened? Um, it wasn't sustainable one way or the other. So, mm -hmm. uh, I don't, I think I probably would have, I, I left it under two years, I probably would have stayed all three. Mm -hmm. uh, but okay. um, I'm just curious, yeah, like sometimes it, like we're waiting for something to come along and sometimes we have to initiate it ourselves. Right. So I'm just curious if you, if you'd started kind of your own countdown and then this acquisition came along and gave you the doorway out. It, not like that, but my countdown was, I had a, I had a deal that was, uh, I had an, uh, an agreement to be there three years and was going to stick to that, but okay. it was, it was going to be painful. Got it. But so when I left, um, I, I had this inkling and it, and it was something that showed up later, but I had this inkling, um, that I had been, um, driving and, 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 and kind of going out of a little bit of self-will and kind of pushing what I wanted rather than, you know, you could call it faith. You could call it, there, there are a million different ways to look at it, but, but, fighting against the flow of things, um, is harder. Right. Oh, yeah. And so the moment that I made the decision to take mine off the table, I was deciding, you know, to, to assert my will on the flow of things. And, and it was hard. And so I thought at that point, I remember driving up, I had to clean out, I had an apartment in New York. I had to clean it out. I was driving up there to, uh, to do that so I could drive my stuff back to Virginia. And, um, and I said a prayer and I was, you know, 
I, I'm tired of managing things. I don't know what to do now. Um, so I'm just not going to make any plans. I'm not going to make any more plans. I'm going to just kind of see what comes up and, and kind of turn things over. And, uh, and it was the beginning of a ride that I'm still on. Um, because I, I, as you know, you opened up by saying, you know, we sat there in, in Santa Monica and looked out at the ocean and, and, uh, you know, I, I was, I was deep in the, I, I don't know how not to set plans, right? Mm, right. I don't know how to create a synthetic, I don't know how not to create a synthetic structure in my life, but that was the decision. I'm not going to create my strategies and my plans and all of that. And, uh, and so it's been, it's been interesting since that moment. Um, and what's happened since then has been, has been, you know, on, in all ways up and down, just amazing. Um, I started angel investing. So, uh, found a few little companies that my friends had started that I'd like to participate in and put a little money in and spend a little bit of time and help them with a little bit of business thinking at a couple technology companies and ended up a part of a, a investing group up in New York that was helping new companies happen and uh, went really well. So I, I ended up investing in two companies that were acquired by Twitter in 2008 and got to meet those guys and and uh, be a part of all that excitement. And a couple of my my professional slash uh, close friends ended up going uh, to be some of the the leaders at Twitter through their their growth and and uh, left right before they went public. So I you know got to see a lot of that and participate. Did that have that. a sting too? Was it one of those like there goes the another one of those opportunities, or do you, do you feel okay about that one? Um, I feel okay about it, but it's another one of those because, so I was, uh, I was still in the process of winding out of Reuters when, when one of the companies, a company called Surmise was acquired and Jack Dorsey called me. I was, I was sitting on my quad runner outside, um, this vacation place that we had and I had a cigar in my mouth and was planning on going on, uh, you know, a couple hour ride through the woods. And I got a call from Jack Dorsey as they were closing up the deal, acquiring Surmise and, uh, um, I was still smarting from all of the time spent traveling and, you know, was super excited about some time for myself and for my family. And Jack said, it was, it was springtime. He said, you want to, you know, can you come help out? We're, we're, we're growing quick and we just, you know, your, your guys from Samize came and joined up. Would you like to join up too? And I said, hey, you know, uh, let's talk at the end of the summer. Cause I'm going to go ride my quad runner and smoke cigars all summer. Mm. And, uh, and, and then, uh, you know, everything grew, grew and changed and, uh, Ev Williams took over and I never got the opportunity to go back after that. Um, but I, that one, that one was purely, I was going to spend the summer with my family and that I don't, I, I, I don't second guess on that. I think, you know, the position was, was, uh, it would have been fantastic had I chosen to do it, but it would have been one more of those move to San Francisco, leave the family on the East coast and work 20 hour days for, you know, for a couple of years. And I, I just wasn't up for it. And I, I don't, I don't regret that. Okay. Yeah. I think there's this idea that when we, when we see a missed opportunity, we somehow automatically imagine all the great things about it and you know how it would have been this and that. And it's really easy to paint that picture. Um, you've been, you've been so consistent in this story of your life around choosing family and choosing, um, uh, just you've got a real sense of that core thing. And, and when you've betrayed that or you've left that behind, that's when you, you really create suffering. So it sounds like at this point you understood that and you were going to choose that, that, that ease and that spaciousness, even if you weren't sure about how to let things go without having some kind of a big plan. So here you are, the things are wide open. That can be a really painful place. I've worked with quite a few people that have sold and, and come into that, that place and there's this big now what, and it's freaky for them. There's a, they'll go create a problem. They'll go create some kind of shitstorm for themselves just so they have something to do. Did you go through anything like that or what was it like? Oh yeah. I called it the tyranny of choice, right? So, so there was a day <laughs> that summer that I woke up and I had been traveling and I had been with really smart people every day for years, years upon years. And I had been a part of you know, professional groups that were based on my job. I had been, you know, speaker at, uh, at, at industry events up on stage with some of the most notable people in technology. And, you know, I, I was, it just, I was a part of something for a long time. Um, and you had and, a real identity in that, like I'm somebody here. I, well, I, and I, I thought that was me. 
right? I actually right. thought that was me. Right. I had every reason to believe that that was me. And, and it's not that it wasn't me. It's just not that it was all of me. Mm-hmm. And so I did go through that. And so the, the crisis was, holy shit, what do I do now? What, how do I, I've got time. I've got a little bit of money. My family's happy now that I'm around. I've got great connections, great friends, and I have absolutely no clue what to do next. And, uh, and that was, that was pretty darn scary. And, and, uh, and, and what was scary about it was that I, I went to defensive mode and started to protect. So, okay, I'm going to protect. Oh, and this was in 2008 or so when the market was turning to shit. So, you know, there was, there was no way to figure out, you know, where, how do I protect my money? Mm-hmm. Uh, there were no jobs out there that I could easily go pick up and there were no companies I was super fired up about starting. And, and it was just a really scary, it was a really weird and scary time. And I ended up well, I joined up with a team that was pivoting, that was doing a real-time search, and the company was called Collecta, and I came on as CEO. So I filled the void with um, my own startup, um, and we raised $7 million, and it, it just didn't, it didn't work. Some of it was team-related, some of it was timing and market-related, but it, I went from having nothing to do to being full-on in a startup, um, and, then, and then that didn't work out. And so in 2011, I was pretty devastated. Um, not, not having really much of a clue at all where to go. So, uh, what was, was the, uh, what was the worst part? Was it just like not knowing what to do or was, you know, cause you, you described what it was like to be traveling and all that kind of thing. That was, that sounds like it was a different form of, I'll use the word suffering, right? So now this is devastating. Like I don't have anything to do. This thing just fell apart. What was, what was, I took it really personally. Okay. I felt like this was my, you know, my moment to create that billion dollar company. And, uh, you know, what was so devastating about it was, um, I went from a place not knowing what I wanted to do, you know, having all these choices to picking something and having it not work out. And it just left me really flat. Yeah. And imagine it's hitting, taking a hit on your confidence too. You were in a place where you were rock solid and then, oh shit, like it, like, can I, can I do something? What, what, what did, did you, what were the doubts and insecurities you were wrangling at that time? Oh, they were all there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, were, they were all there. And, uh, you know, I got sad. I just got really sad. So I, for two years was just Mr. Dad, you know, my wife doesn't work. And, and, uh, so we were both, oh, and in the middle of here, we moved from, uh, Virginia to Los Angeles. And so, uh, kind of moved away from all of our, our friends and support system, you know, good thinking, right. And, uh, <laughs> where we'd been for nine years. And, and so we're in a new place, uh, moved out here for the company within six months, the company went under and, uh, you know, so, um, but it was, it was an amazing time. And I have to be honest, I'm still going through it. Um, but this amazing time of awakening and, and perspective, um, for two years doing nothing, it was just sad. Um, mm-hmm. and it was sad. I was sad. Um, I, I, I didn't know what I wanted. I love my kids and, and, and being able to spend that time with them after spending so many years traveling, you know, being there in the morning, they started new schools and I was there and, and all of that, like that part was really good, but I just, I, I didn't know uh, I didn't know what to do. And so as I sat and stewed, I started to have questions just about my perspective, right? Well, like, okay, what is all of this about? Why did it work out earlier in my career? What, what's not working now? Why is it so important to me? And the thing that kept coming back to me is why is my identity so tied to my work, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I couldn't come up with a good answer as to why. So I had to face the idea like, wow, maybe all these great things that I've been a part of um, aren't me. They're just great things I've been a part of. And that's cool. That's okay. But, but that was a, that was a big, a big revelation, right? I'm not my work and I'm not the success of my work. Yeah. And -hmm. I'm not the failure of my work either. I'm just, I'm just, trying to do my best and make cool stuff happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that perspective is, is, uh, is pretty amazing. And I think that's right around when I started to have those questions is right around when I called you. Okay. And there was a mindset. So we come back to we're at the Georgian there and, and in Santa Monica and, and that question, can I have a heart and be successful too? We haven't talked a lot about your values. We haven't talked a lot about just how deep you are um, the conversations we've had over the last year and just 
the, the real work you want to bring out. And, and it sounds like you're looking, what were you looking for at that time? Like, it wasn't like you could go back. That's what I was getting. It's like, I can't go back and do it the way that I did before, because that that's just not going to serve me. It's about an evolution forward. So what were the, what, bring some of those questions that would have you ask that. Can I have heart and be successful too? What was going on under there? Yeah, there's a piece of my story that I really haven't talked about. Um, and and it, it started before the whole career piece. And I, I came from a relatively volatile, troubled home. And my parents are great people. And and, uh, and my family, you know, we just, uh, older sister, active alcoholic, um, middle sister and I tried to cope. There was a lot, a lot going on in the house. And so um, as, as I got to be 12, 13, 14, and I started drinking and I ended up, um, by the time I was 16, um, I'm pretty much just lost hope. And so that's, that's actually a big context for this. And what I mean by I lost hope was I, I actually lost control of my drinking. I, I was, was, uh, uh, very focused on escaping and I could, I would escape any way that I could find. And, and by the time I was 16, it became enough of a problem that it was brought to my attention. And I was, uh, I was put into a treatment program, and at that point in time, and, and I've been sober since uh, since I was 16. Um, there was there was a part of me, really simply, um, if if I'm left completely to myself, um, I find that uh, my self will leads to where I have less hope, right? And hope is just that belief that great things are going to happen and that I can participate in them and. And so when I when I got sober at 16 and started to connect into people who were living this life that that was full of opportunity and possibility and and seeing people change and and people who had struggled you know people much older than me I uh, people in their 50s who had right. been drunk their whole lives and seeing their lives turn around and seeing how vibrant and and uh, and and full of life they could be like that to me was a huge turning point so to me having a heart is, is about that, that, um, again, it's the, it's the being open to the possibilities. It's having faith that something good is happening. If I just allow it to happen and then knowing my part in it, my part isn't, isn't the lead role. My, my part is to, to be the piece that, uh, you know, show up and work hard and, and all of that. So, um, the, the question, you know, going back to the Georgian, that, that question was, I, I had lost that. I had, um, through, through my career and through being focused on, you know, the, when I decided to pull stuff towards myself, um, and take my, my money off the table, uh, um, I, I had left behind that piece of me, just that like simple, humble piece that I had found early on in my sobriety, which was just like, I'm really fucking happy to be here. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 You know? Um, and, and that's and enough. It, and it is enough, right? Yeah. I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to be in this place. I'm happy to be with these people. I'm happy to have a brain enough that I can contribute in a conversation. And then, and then the heart part is, is really specific to me when you get down to it, which is it's how I relate to other people. And, and how, why am I in a relationship with somebody business-wise, friendship-wise? What's that about? What, how do I spend my creative time? How do I spend my my brain power is it helping other people is it doing something positive and to me that's that's the you know the hard part of things is can i can i have a career that that i am achieving and doing great stuff and include that part of me that's softer because i had made the decision to leave it behind you mm -hmm. know as i was as i was an executive in big media companies fighting for resources and traveling all the time with struggling with sadness and all of that i just i, I didn't have anything to give anybody and i didn't want to have that i didn't want to have those kind of relationships and i didn't want to relate to people on that level cuz i felt empty mm -hmm. and uh, and that was the question can i you know is there some point where i have a perspective where i can i can do what i do best and uh, still connect with other people and be vulnerable and, and, uh, in, in sharing, you know, what I want, what I think, what I feel and, uh, and not have to be, you know, the guy, I, I had this idea that it, as an executive, I couldn't be open to anybody because even my best professional friends, um, I might have to compete for resources with you at some point, or I might, you know, if you work for me, I might have to fire you. Wow. So I could never really open up or be connected to people in a way that, that would make me, not capable of doing the things I had to do if, if it came to that. 
it's it's just so powerful, you know. I, you, as I worked with you, and we and I got the sense of your world because you've always you've always let me in. You've always let me see this side of you. But when you paint the picture of who you had to be, and I'm using "had" in quotations, but who you chose to be in order to be successful, like that part of you is like, I can't let this person in, or I can't show up a certain way because I might have to edge this person out. I might have to compete with them. I might have to let them go. Um, I've just, in my own life, the most painful places are when I can't simply be generous or I can't love or I can't be myself that I have to play defense in that way. And I started to really get just how painful all of that was. And it's like, what the fuck for? Right? Like, and, and that's what I got the sense of this transition here is like, it's just not okay to do that anymore. And not, not to get into a place where you're given permission, okay, after six months, then I'll be, I'll be allowed to be a little bit more of myself, but how to start from that place how to start from that place of acceptance and wholeness and create from that place. Um, I, you, you've mentioned that you're on this path now. This is the transition. This is the work that you're doing now. Tell us a little bit, like, what are you learning? What's it been like? So the, the, the biggest thing, in it, and things come in like revelations. I have these, I worked with a guy a long time ago that, that uh, said he has blinding flashes of the obvious. And, and uh, <laughs> You know, I feel like <laughs> right. I, I feel like I because I, I I'm I will say I'm a full time seeker now. I just like I I just want perspective. I just want to understand because I I'm turning 48 today, and uh, yeah. and and that like I think okay I I'm not done. I'm I got a lot to do. Yeah. And, and what what is that? Well, it's. So I've got this notion that there's a part of us, there's, and I'll talk about myself just because I've, I've only been me, I haven't been anybody else, but there's a part of me that seems to never change. And it's that, that optimism, it's that need to connect with people. It's the fact that I'm satisfied when I have a really great conversation with somebody where we both you know, share a little, venture a little of uh, risk and, and connect a little bit and there's trust established. Short conversation can be even something as, as quick as a, you know, a, a friendly comment or something. And it can be as meaningful as a big long, you know, I spent three days with, uh, with one of my best friends, uh, in Hawaii a few weeks ago and, and, and with Cindy. And, and it was just like, it was three days of, of just that open conversation and that, that connecting to me never changes the need to do that. And the need to, to create meaning that never changes. And what, what does change is the content of life, my success, my failure, Right. All of those things. Right. What, what doesn't change is my need to be a great dad to my kids. What changes is how that happens. I don't know how to do it and I'm going to make mistakes, but I can't, you know, it's super, super clear to me that the consistent stuff in my life is all the good stuff. The consistent stuff, you know, as I look at the next 48 years, that that consistency is going to come from me showing up and it's going to come from me being willing to look at the content, success, failure, money, not failure, right? Yeah. Uh, whatever, all of those things independent of continuing to nurture this little tiny voice in me that says, wow, I kind of like to connect with people. Yeah. I kind of like to make cool stuff. And I kind of like to be a part of a conversation and not have a bunch of baggage in my head. Yeah. And I kind of like not to worry about the future, right? Those those little things, and they're really small for me right now, but I get a ton of energy out of it. Yeah, I mean, that's what I get, is that you you learned a way, uh, and, and, and then that chapter of your life where it was about plans, it was about strategizing. When you described how you learned how to work a room, how to manage upward, like, it was all about controlling, it was all about, for whatever the motives were, but it was all about this kind of containment, and it it's fucking exhausting. It's really exhausting to think four, five, six chess moves ahead and to be playing that game. And I remember when you came back from Hawaii and we talked about that, there was no chess. It was just presence. And there was no, there was no like, how do I outmaneuver this guy or how do I make sure I protect against that? There was no defense. There, it was just simply, how do I connect? How do I get curious? And that's where you found your flow. And, um, and I think it's, it's, uh, I think, I don't, I can't remember, it was something like, could it really be that easy? Right. Could it, could it yeah, really right. be? And I really, I, I believe that. I believe that's, that's really at the core of it, of the work that you're doing that I'm doing. It's like, yes, it can really be that simple. Do I have the guts? Right. That's because that's a bold way. Everything else is defense. 
but do I have the guts to really just step in there and say, I put this for, first and foremost, I put love first, I put wholeness first, I put connection, uh, presence, just getting in there and, and wanting to create and, and connect with other human beings. I'm going to put that first instead of, I hope I get around to that one day. And I think that's the work. That, that's, does that resonate for you? Yeah, completely. And, and when I put it in the context of my life and all the things, like I, I take a lot of happiness out of the, the things that I've been close to and, and the people I've met and the influence that I've been able to, to have. And, and part of it has been like this, wow, is, if it's this easy and if this is it, like it's, gonna, it's not going to be as awesome as oh, yeah. you know, creating something that a billion people plus use every day or, or whatever. And, and I, think, I think that you know, part of it for me is recognizing um, that actually that stuff is just like, it, it's not a benchmark. It's just something cool. And, and it, it really, like the moments I start out every morning with a gratitude list and I, I create a little Google form and I go to my little Google form and I have 10 little form, 10 little fields and I fill it in things that I'm grateful for. And, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not ever grateful for, you know, when I, when I really look on a, on a, any given morning, I'm not grateful for things I've accomplished, right? I'm not grateful for a job I had. I'm not, I'm not grateful for that stuff. I'm grateful for relationships. I'm grateful for things I've learned. I'm grateful for opportunities, right? And, and all of those things are the now, right? And, uh, and I do think that, you know, whether I do something else that, that touches a billion people or not, um, uh, this, this is so much more satisfying to me than the empty suit coat. That's why I wanted you to be on here. That's why I wanted you to talk about this. That's why I started this, this, this interview running down just a partial list of the things that you've done, because I had a feeling we were going to get to this point. And I see you making this transition. It's why you inspire me. It's why my heart is open to this. Why I love you is I see you stepping into this on your own, not waiting for permission, not waiting for someone to come along and say, hey, we've created this thing. We'd like for you to step in and be this guy here. It's, it is about doing your own thing. And it's scary. It's scary to talk like this. It's scary to have these conversations. But you and I both know when we do talk about this, we get more people that come to us. They're like, hey, I want more of that. I can't believe you guys are talking about, but that's what I'm hungry for. And I've, and I've witnessed you become more of a leader in that way. Thank you so much. And I love you too. And I, I really value the time that, that we get to talk about this stuff. And I think, you know, when I look forward in that, that question of, of, you know, can I be successful and have heart too? I actually think my future has a lot to do with just helping people. Mm. And, uh, and that to me, you know, I, I, I get pretty giddy about that. <laughs> right. Right on. If these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.